This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for the, the opportunity to study it. We ask that you would give us the Holy Spirit, without which we can understand not one principle of Scripture, not only not understand it, but not apply it. And so we ask, Lord, that we would not be here because of curiosity, but that we would be here because we desire to change. And so move us forward in our journey closer to where you would have us to be. Give us understanding. Give us a focused mind, clarity. And most of all, Father, give us courage to surrender when you call, to give, and Father, to be willing to let go of whatever you would have us to bring. Thank you for hearing this prayer. And we offer it up in Jesus' name. Amen. So this session is continuing in our series, Finding Your Personal Story in the Cross. And this particular session is a very important session, which I'm sure why some of you are here, because you read the title. Why am I struggling with this sin? Cross hairs is what I've entitled it. But with that subtitle, why am I struggling with this sin? I imagine that for many of us, sin is no stranger. Temptation is not a stranger to us. It is something that we experience on a daily basis. We go through desires. We go through invitations to do things that are inappropriate that are going to bring us guilt, that are going to bring us shame, that are going to embarrass us. And yet it seems like amidst all the, the rabble of the temptations and the opportunities that we have to sin, there always seems to be a couple of those sins that just seem to linger a little bit longer than others. And this question, I believe, continues to plague many of us simply because we want to get over sin. Am I right? There's just certain sins in life that we are tired of. Right? I want to take you to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews, chapter 12. We're going to come back to the story of the crucifixion momentarily. But just by way of introduction. Hebrews, chapter 12. Paul writes these words in verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So Paul, using the analogy of a race, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily ensnares us. The sin that somehow just entraps us when we think that we are free, it just somehow comes back and brings us right back in. 
it, I take you to an Adventist academy, which shall remain nameless. When I was doing a week of prayer at this academy, when I had finished, some of the, the leadership of the academy pulled me aside and they said, Brother Braxton, we were wondering if you can help us with a particular student situation. I said, sure, what, what is the situation? They said, well, we've had several of our students that are struggling uh, with sexual perversion, with masturbation, with pornography. And we have this one particular student who came to the staff completely honest, completely vulnerable, completely broken, and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you, this is what we're doing in the dorms. I'm participating in this, but I don't want to have anything to do with this. I want to overcome this. And so he came to the leadership and said, can you help me? And they said, we've tried everything. We've prayed with him. We've had him fast. We had accountability partners. It just seems like nothing is working. And while they were finishing this story to me, the young man said while he was sitting there in the room in the conversation, you can only imagine the amount of shame pulsing through his veins at that point. And he said, you know, sometimes I ask myself, why am I struggling with this sin? Why am I struggling with this sin? Sometimes we wish that our sins were a little more candy cane. They're a little more kind of, you know, oh yeah, sometimes I tell some lies, but you know, uh, you know, I go back and tell people, look, I wasn't being completely honest with you and everything's okay. Now I can clear it up. Or maybe if my sin was, you know, sometimes I, my family becomes an idol and we have certain sins that we feel like these ones are worse than others. Am I right? Right. It's, it's one thing to make your family an idol. It's another thing to be unfaithful to your wife. So you sleep with another man, you sleep with another woman, that particular sin is like, oh man, you must be really spiritually broken. But if you come to church and you're saying for prayer time, you know what, sometimes I turn my family into an idol, people are kind of thinking like, that's not even a real struggle. Like, yeah, no one's going to remember to pray for you. <laughs> you know I'm telling the truth. You're not going to go home and think, man, that brother's family, he's making it an idol. We, we have to have prayer time. But let us find out that where there's a young person that was depressed and was considering taking their own life. Now we feel the, the need to pray for them. As if one sin is greater than another. But the reality is, everyone has a sin that does so easily ensnares them. Every single one of us. And when it comes to the counsel of sin, Nobody's going to come there trying to boast that, oh, this is how strong I am. This is how well I'm doing. You know, sin, especially our darling sin, it's like that girlfriend or boyfriend that we broke up with and we said, you know, this was just a terrible relationship. And as soon as they come around, we're not showing our chest much because we're afraid of what they might say. We're afraid that they might embarrass us or just call us out or call us on our bluff. Say, oh yeah, you're Mr. What? Yeah, you mean like that one time when you did this and this because you're so spiritual. And so for many of us, it keeps us quiet, keeps us from pursuing spiritual endeavors. It keeps us from offering our services to the church because of the sin that does so easily ensnares us. And so this young man's question, I believe, is a question that many young people have. 
And I believe that many people at the crucifixion who were involved in leading Christ to that cross were feeling the same thing. It was revealing an answer to the question that there's more behind this than just, oh, you have a lust problem, or you have a pride problem, or you have a problem with greed, or you have a problem with stealing things, or you have a problem with envy, or you have a problem with keeping the Sabbath day and respecting the sacred precincts of time. There's more going on is what the cross suggests to us. Because when we are involved in sin, when we are involved in breaking the law, it's not just rebellion. It is also a type of betrayal to God. Because before you and I sinned, we made a commitment to Him, did we not? Yes or no? Yes, yes we did. We didn't decide to become Christians and say, yeah, but I'm going to let you know, God, I am going to sin. Right? No one starts a relationship that way. Can you say amen? amen. No, you don't. You don't go into a relationship and say, hey, girl, I want to be with you. I want to spend a rest. But I'm going to cheat. I am not going to be faithful to this covenant. I'm just letting you know. So can you imagine, you know, they're like, oh, would you like to read your vows at the wedding? And the guy looks at his bride and he says, listen, you're beautiful. You're lovely. You're great. You're amazing. I want to spend the rest of my life. But I'm just going to let you know I'm going to cheat. I'm going to sleep with someone that is not my wife. How do you think that ceremony is going to go? You're going to be thinking to yourself, uh, he didn't just say that. And we'll all just pretend like he didn't say it and go for it in the marriage ceremony. That's exactly what will take place. But this is what some people come into Christianity to say, you know what? When I decided to surrender my life to Christ and to give myself over to him, you and I did not sign up for perpetual sin. Can you say amen? We did not sign up to constantly be in and out of shame. We did not sign up to decide to, oh, let's pretend like we're holy. Let's keep pumping ourselves up and join an eternal spiritual pep rally that one day we will overcome. But we never do. And we walk away asking the question, why am I struggling with this sin? The one that we want to get rid of. The one that we're tired of. The one that keeps coming back at inopportune times. The ones that show up when you're doing well. The ones that loom in the darkness of life. When you feel like, oh, everything's great, but you know what's backstage. Waiting for you as soon as you come off the spiritual stage. Sin is there. And the sin that does so easily ensnares us. So why am I struggling with this sin? And this message is particularly personal to me, simply because I grapple with sin just like you. Being a preacher doesn't make it any easier. Some people think, right, they, they hear you preach and they think, oh man, this person is super Christian. <laughs> I arrived at one place and the person was like, you know, I was preaching at this particular location. And I was thinking to myself as we're kind of mingling and talking and you're listening to people talk about you to other people. Oh, do you know who this is? This is Brother Sebastian Braxton. As if the name should mean something. <laughs> My name is not Jesus. That name means something. So the people are sitting there and they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. Uh, no, no, you don't. Brother Sebastian, how many hours in prayer do you spend a day? <laughs> I'm not making this up. And I'm looking at this person, right? And I'm praying in my heart. I said, Lord, I cannot believe 
I am in this situation right now. Because if I tell him the truth, right, this is going to totally deflate his whole hype man argument, right? He was waiting, so I just sat quietly and put another piece of food in my mouth. As I was still deliberating, what am I going to say? And he says, I mean, you're probably spending like, what, four, five, six hours? I said, do you have any kids? Are you married? Four, five, six hours? I said, maybe if I woke up at 2 a.m., <laughs> go to bed at 11, that might work out. And so as I sat there, he says, oh, no, I mean, but I know for sure. I mean, what, what is your devotional time? Are you like in the word like four hours and you're like memorizing scripture for like an hour? And then I'm like, listen, man, does the Bible tell you what Jesus did for his devotions? Do you know what Jesus did for his personal devotional time? He looked at me and said, no, I don't think the Bible says anything. It doesn't. And I said, do you know why? Because his life spoke for itself. It's not the time. You could be there six hours and you never connected with God. You're just making yourself feel better. Or it's a catharsis. I'm just emotionally cleansing. Some people feel like I go to prayer. I just need to have a good cry. Once I cry before the Lord, then I feel better. That was devotion. Devotion is not shedding tears. God is not your shrink. <laughs> not saying that God is not a counselor. God does not support us. But the point here is the fact that in this experience that I had, and I'm thinking, these people don't understand. Just because I'm a preacher doesn't make me less of a target. It makes me more of a target. And especially when you travel the world, there's something about the sense of anonymity that raises the attraction of evil because you think you can get away with it. Because you're in a foreign country, nobody knows you. Right, so if this girl comes to my hotel room or if I decide to go watch this program or if I download this thing on my TV, who's gonna know? These are real things preachers deal with. And teachers and parents. And pastors and conference officials. Why am I struggling with this sin is the question of every soul. We start off with the question, why am I struggling with sin, period. The Bible answers that question. You were born in sin. But how is it that of all the sins that I could end up with, this one came to me? That's the question that we have that makes it personal. And so I want to answer this question in a roundabout way. So I'm going to tell you where I want to go, and then I will go there. The basic answer to this question is that there is a particular sin that the devil has been successful with in the past that he hopes that by persistently leading us to fail, we will eventually decide to hand over Jesus. We will give him up. I'm going to say it again, and then I'm going to go through the study. The reason why we struggle with this particular sin, whatever it is in your life or mine, is because the devil hopes that by persistently leading us to fall into sin, we will eventually hand over Jesus. We will give him up in order to keep this sin. That is his hope. That is his prayer. Now let's go to the Bible. 
Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. When you're there, if you could say amen. Amen. If you're not there, just say have mercy. Okay. Mercy said no. It's time to move on. Matthew chapter 26. The Bible says in verse 1, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now I want you to know this word delivered up is, comes from a Greek word, paradidomai. Can you say that? That was very good. Paradidomai. And this word is the word for betrayal. It is the word for what? Betrayal. You see, it only translates it betrayal when it's talking about Judas. But right here, it says delivered up. So there are four particular groups of people who go in where this verb is used in the Gospels. To say this person betrayed Jesus. But the word is handed him over. This is the concept of betrayal. So in the Old Testament, the concept of betrayal is a little different. It's more like gossiping. It's more like revealing something that should have been hidden. But in the New Testament, the concept of betrayal is the, uh, the concept of turning something over that you should have kept, which is similar to the Old Testament, but it's a different approach. And the gospel writers love this word for what happens to Jesus at the end of his life. So now I want you to notice that as we go forward in Matthew chapter 26, I want you to jump down into verse 45. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, actually, let me start in verse 14, and then we'll go to verse 45. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I what? If I deliver him, guess what word that is? That's right. Paradidomai. What will you give me if I hand Jesus over to you? That's the question that Judas asked. What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to what? To betray him or to hand him over. Now we go down to verse 45. Then he came to his disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people, Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, 
Why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Now I want you to notice that Judas came to the chief priests and he says, what are you willing to give me if I betray him? If I hand him over to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Now clearly by accepting this deal, Judas was willing to turn Jesus over for what? 30 pieces for money. So now what is Judas's problem? His problem is money, but more specifically, it's greed. But that's not Judas's only problem. I want you to notice in, in Matthew 26, before it takes you to Judas betraying, it tells the story in verse 6 of the woman anointing Jesus' feet. And so after she, she comes and she does this, I want you to notice in verse 8. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. And then he gives an explanation. Now, I want you to notice as we compare this story, go to John 12. This is where it gets fascinating. John chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. John chapter 12, are you there? Amen. All right, look in verse 4. It says, not all the disciples, but it says, but one of his disciples, who? Judas, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. This is the son of the man who was having the party. It says, this one who would betray him said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Notice John's commentary. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was what? A thief, and he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Are you following what's happening right now? So before, Jesus, before Judas goes to the chief priest, the immediate preceding story is a woman who gathers a year's worth of savings, of money. She buys fragrant oil and decides to just pour it on Jesus. This is a woman who used to be a prostitute. You don't know what she went through to get that money. And she decides, I'm going to take all this money, I'm going to buy fragrance, and I'm going to pour it on Christ. And here is Judas, sitting by watching this and saying to himself, do you know what you could have bought with this? Do you, do you know what we, we could have done this for the poor? But John tells you, he didn't say this because he cared for the poor. He was a thief. This issue of greed, John says right there in the text. Because he used to take what was put in the money box. So what did Judas want? He wanted the fragrance to be sold, take the money, and put it where? In the money box. So he could do what? Take the money out the box. So here he is walking with Jesus, and Jesus makes you his treasurer. Can you imagine you're stealing from the Lord himself? 
You talk about a sin that does so easily beset you. Jesus is gathering money so that he can do good deeds for the poor, so that he can give money to the poor. And here is Judas dipping in the money box. And as he's dipping in the money box to take this money, he looks at the woman and says, oh, you're wasting your money buying this oil and anointing Jesus. You know how much we could have made from this? But see, John, through the Holy Spirit, said that's not why he said it. Because Judas had an issue with greed for a long time. And this is why he was in the Lord's presence. This is why he had face-to-face -face communion with Jesus. And I guarantee you there were times that when Jesus would preach and he would say, you know, there's a parable, parable about a rich man who had built barns and bigger barns. And when he was about to die, the man said, you know what? I'm going to build even bigger barns. <laughs> and I'm going to say, self, you've done well. And then a voice will come down and say, you fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you. Whose things will these be? Judas heard that. And I'm sure his heart was stirred. And he would go home and Judas would pray. And Judas would say, Lord, help me to let go of my greed. Help me to see what, Je what Jesus, my master, is telling me. Wheresoever your treasure is, there also shall your heart be. Keep your treasures in heaven. Judas heard that. Judas heard about the unjust steward who was having his master's goods and wasting them. But then the parable, he says, listen, make sure you make friends with these riches that you still have. But not friends on earth, but friends in heaven so that they will receive you into everlasting habitations. Judas heard that. Judas heard about the rich man and Lazarus. How this man fared sumptuously. And all the poor man wanted was crumbs from his table. And yet as Judas heard this, I'm sure he was kneeling and saying, Lord, help me to get over this greed. Help me to let go of money. And time and time again, Judas was coming back wondering, why am I struggling with this sin? Why is it so hard for me just to let go of the money and trust Jesus? But here you understand that what was the devil doing to Judas? How in the world was the devil going to get Jesus to be crucified? How was he going to kill him? He says, you know what? I got to find someone to betray Jesus into the hands of the chief priests. How can I get this man to be killed? So before we even get to the Jews, we have to deal with Judas. And so, this is Sister White's comments, Desire of Ages, 716. The history of Judas presents the sad ending of a life, of a story that might have honored God. Judas had naturally a strong love for money naturally but he had not always been corrupt enough to do such a deed as this are you hearing what I'm saying he had not always been corrupt enough to do a deed such as this 
The love of, of mammon overbalanced his love for Christ. Through becoming the slave of one vice, he gave himself to Satan to be driven to any lengths in sin. You see, brothers and sisters, I hope you're understanding from the quote and from the Bible, the pattern. You say, why is Judas struggling with this sin? Why does the devil keep coming back with this temptation? Because he's thinking down the line. He says, I'm trying to drive you further and further. Judas started off just as a lover of money. He started off just as a, a little thief stealing from Jesus' treasury. To the point where he betrayed an innocent man to be killed for 30 pieces of silver. Not an innocent man, an innocent God. Knowing that in the great controversy, when the Lord comes the third time, and the wicked are alive, and the righteous are alive, and she says, as Jesus sits upon his throne in his glory, she says, like panorama view above his throne, all the scenes of the crucifixion will be seen, and every person who played their part. And Judas will be there. And you say, like Judas's question, why am I struggling with this sin? You think this is just about your sin? You think this is just about your love for money? Says, Judas, I'm trying to use you. And eventually, he had persisted enough with Judas, as we read, to the degree that he was willing to betray Christ. He was willing to hand him over. That's what the devil wants you and I to do, brothers and sisters. He wants us to get to the point where we just yield to the temptations. He wants us to get to the point where we get so discouraged, we don't even fight anymore. He wants us to get to the place where we say, you know what? I'm just going to accept what is, is what ought to be. At least when I die, I won't burn for very long. I'll just cease to exist. I had a young person come and tell me that one time. I like our understanding of hell. At least I know I won't burn forever. As if it'll be any less pleasant. Or uncomfortable or painful. Because you're only burning for a short period of time. And I said the greatest anguish is not the anguish of physical pain. It's the mental. It's the emotional. I said you don't know what it feels like to be cut off from God. There's only one person that knows that feeling. And God willing, through Christ, we will never taste that cup. But like Judas, he handed over Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters, you and I in our personal stories, whatever your struggle is, whatever the thing that <clears throat> you and I are grappling with today, we have to stop and think and recognize that why are we in the crosshairs of the devil? Why is it that he's persistently focusing on this particular area of our spiritual experience? Why is he targeting me? And the reality of it is even more sinister and more heinous. It's not even about you. It's about you giving up Jesus. 
bringing us to such a low point that we just give him up. We betray him. Think about the hatred that the devil has for Christ. You see, it's one thing to have an enemy. It's one thing to fight. It's one thing to have conflict. But it's another thing when you look at a person and you say, I hate you so much that I'm going to try to find a way to get the person that you love more than your own life to betray you. I want them to do it to you. The person that you came down from heaven to save. The person that you became a man took on human nature. For the man and for the woman that you drank the cup of the wrath of God. To betray you. That is the devil's goal. And he, he was successful with Judas. And as Judas was handed over, as he handed over Jesus to the priests, we find that the same thing comes with the priests and the rulers. Go to Matthew chapter 27. As we go forward, why am I struggling with this sin? You find in Matthew chapter 27, in verse 1, are you there? Amen. The Bible says, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away, and they what? They delivered him to who? Pontius Pilate. Guess what word that is in Greek? Do you remember the word? That's right, paradidomai. So here you have the Jews, so it started off with Judas, who came to them. I want you to notice this. Judas asked, what are you willing to give to me if I hand Jesus over for you? But now as Judas betrayed him, the chief priest, oh yeah, we condemned him. This guy is condemned to die. And then now the Bible writer uses it for the Jews, the chief priests and the elders. And it says, and they handed Jesus over. To Pontius Pilate. They betrayed him. Now the question is, why? Why did they betray him? So now I want you to go over in Matthew chapter 27 and look at verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of what? Envy. Jealousy. Now, in order for there to be envy... You have to be envious of something, right? Someone has to have something that you want and that you currently do not have. So now, is this the first time the Jews became jealous of Christ? No, no, no. This struggle was going on for a long time. Three and a half years of his ministry. 
So obvious that when Pilate looked at it, the Bible says Pilate knew that they turned Jesus over because of envy. He could even tell. False witnesses, the mockery of a trial. Pilate's like, I find no fault in this man. And he knew in his mind, as a Roman pagan governor, he could see this whole internal thing going on in your church. He's like, this is all because of jealousy. Everything you're raising, all their accusations, all their issues against Christ, he says, this just sounds like you're mad that the crowd is following him. You want his notoriety, you want his popularity, you want his superstardom. That's what you want, and you're not getting it. So you deliver him to me. And this issue of envy wasn't the first time. And I'm sure there was a Jew like Joseph of Arimathea. He wasn't always for Christ. Nicodemus was by himself for a while. But through the influence of Nicodemus, Joseph comes along. And maybe there was a time when Joseph was envious of Christ. I'm a rabbi. I'm wealthy. I'm influential. How come I don't have all these people crowding around me to hear me teach? And you say, how was it that we were struggling with jealousy all this time? It wasn't ever about the Jews. There was a greater issue going on. And so the devil looked and said, I'm going to use these insecure, prideful priests to kill the Lord of glory. You say, why is it that this sin is persisting? And surely Joseph of Arimathea went home and said, Lord, why, why do I have this jealousy in my heart? Why do I have this envy? Why am I struggling with this sin? And he hopes that by persistently pressing us in failure, we will hand Jesus over. And there they were. They took their king. <laughs> they took their savior. And they gave him into the hands of Gentiles. People they won't even eat with. People they won't even sit with. People, they will never let their daughters marry their sons or their sons marry their daughters. Here you go. They handed over Jesus. Now, I have to rush to my conclusion because of time. But I hope that the point is now sitting, sinking in. So in, if this is true, what we are saying, and the focus of how he worked on Judas how he worked on the Jews, how he worked on Pilate, and eventually even the Roman soldiers. How did he work on all these people thinking that all those little decisions before the crucifixion were insignificant? No, they weren't. Every time Judas put his hand in that box, it was setting him up for the cross. Every time the priests would try to catch Jesus in his words, Try to embarrass him in front of the multitudes because of envy and indulging in jealousy. It was setting them up for the cross. So now for you and for me, this tells us that your struggle with pornography, your struggle with lust, 
your struggle with anger, your struggle with your, your jealousy, your struggle with your pride, your struggle with vanity, your struggle with fashion, your struggle with righteousness by works, your struggle with the health message. This persistent area where the devil just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And you're wondering, why am I struggling with this sin? And the devil is sitting in the background saying, one day you're going to become discouraged. And you're going to betray Jesus. You're going to hand him over. And that's exactly what I want. This whole struggle you have with pornography is not even about you and pornography. It's about him. You're just a pawn. Persisting, persisting, persisting. But here's the, here's the good news, brothers and sisters. The good news in this message is, if this is why you and I are struggling with our sins, your easily ensnaring sin and my easily ensnaring sin, if this is the reason why we are struggling with this particular sin, then the good news is the fact that, okay, I get it. So I don't necessarily have to focus so much on, okay, will I ever overcome this? I know that I will overcome as long as I don't hand over Jesus. Are you following what I'm saying? The issue is that if this is true, then the issue is I need to be more persistent than the devil. If this is true, I need to make up in my mind today that no matter what, I will not give up Christ. I will not let go of my hold upon Jesus. This is why victory to Jacob came the way that it came. When he decided to say to God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Are you following what I'm saying? Because if this is what the devil is trying to strategize and say, in the last days, when it's time for us to stand up and be faithful, these little sins today will matter then. Because for them, it was the crucifixion. For now, we're talking about Mark of the Beast. We're talking about third angel's message. We're talking about righteousness by faith. We're talking about religious liberty. We're talking about keeping the Sabbath when you can't buy food for your kids. All these little easily besetting sins. It will seem insignificant today what you watched on your phone, what you listened to on your iPod, what you were downloading on your computer, what you were going to on Friday night, where you were doing Sabbath afternoon. It seems insignificant now, just like Judas. But when the last days come and the crisis hits, we were set up to betray him way back then because we didn't understand why we were struggling with this. And that means the particular sin that you and I are struggling with, that we have been struggling with, this is the very sin that you and I cannot give up. This is the very sin that we must say, aha, the devil knows that he doesn't have me. Are you following me? He wouldn't persist if he did. Somebody should have said amen. amen. <laughs> Maybe I'm just encouraging myself. <laughs> the very fact that he's persisting means he doesn't have me. That means I haven't handed over Jesus because that's what he wants. Once they put Jesus on the cross, the devil's like, I've gotten what I wanted. 
Pass them along, pass them along, pass them along. Now, Ellen White says, demons in the crowd tormenting him. Trying to get him to come down, trying to get him to retaliate. Now I have him where I want him, stuck to a piece of wood. Hated by the very people he loves. Betrayed by the very people he came to save. Now I have him where I want him. And you and I, because of the crisis that is soon to come upon this earth, in our mission, in our ministry, as a church, we have a privilege to succeed where Pilate failed. We have an opportunity to succeed where Judas failed. Judas came to a point where he handed over Jesus. Because of greed. And you and I, if we make up in our mind to say, no, my point of attack is not to ignore my easily ensnaring sin. That's not the answer, brothers and sisters. The answer is not for us to pretend like we don't have a sin problem. It is not for us to try to increase our spiritual activities, hoping that the good outweighs the bad. That is not the solution. The solution is for you and I to make up in our minds today that I'm not handing over Jesus no matter what. That I'm going to hold on to Jesus. You see, I remember when I was going door to door, I've told this story before. I met a guy at a door canvassing, covered in tattoos, black earrings, black nail polish. He's a Satanist, a Satan worshiper. And as he's at this particular door, he is talking to me and the, the other young lady that was there with me. And he says, you know, Sebastian, you're doing good work. You know, and as long as you continue to preach the gospel and travel out here going door to door and doing all these things, he's like, the devil's going to be on you. He's going to make your life as much as hell as he possibly can. And he said, you know, I used to do what you do. I used to try to seek God and try to be faithful, but he says, eventually, you know, I just got tired. And I said, you know what? If I stop fighting him, maybe he'll leave me alone. And so he said, now I just worship Satan and he doesn't bother me. I don't have all those problems. I don't have all those issues. But for you, as long as you're doing that, you're going to have problems, you're going to have issues and all the best to you. I encourage you. But for me, I just got tired. And I thought to myself, is this not the devil's strategy? He's just hoping that one day you and I will get tired. He's hoping that you and I will one day just be like, you know what? What's the point? He's hoping that you and I come to that point where we just decide, what's the point? of trying to fight these sexual urges, I'm tired. But we can combat this by deciding in our minds what they, what they used to say, right, in the, um, when they were doing the marches in the civil rights movement. And they would sing that song as they walked through the streets and there was still segregation, there were still beatings, there were still lynchings, there was still hatred and prejudice and racism, and yet they would still walk through the streets and they would sing, we shall overcome. 
For deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome one day. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Young brother, young sister, don't be tired. Hang on to Jesus. Don't hand him over for anything. For nothing. No matter what, make up in your mind today, I'm not going to hand Jesus over for anything. But I'm going to keep reminding myself, the devil knows that he has but a short time. So that's when he says, stand up, stand up for Jesus. The battle, the strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle, but next, the victor's song. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead, till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. So when you get tired, when you feel like there's no point, I want you to remember those words. The devil knows that he has a short time. That means I don't have to wait much longer. I just need to hold on to Jesus. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Someone in this room that says, Lord, I've been tired. And now that I see, I know why I'm struggling with this sin. The devil's trying to wear me down. He wants me to be tired. He wants me to hand Jesus over. And even though right now I'm not corrupt enough to do a deed such as the crucifixion. But if I keep parlaying, if I keep persisting, one day I will be corrupt enough to even betray Jesus himself. And so today, Lord, I'm asking that you would give me hope, that you would revive my heart again today, that yes, one day I will overcome. And I know why I'm struggling with this sin. The devil's trying to discourage me. He wants me to get tired. He wants me to forget that a righteous man falls seven times, but rises again. He wants me to forget. There's someone here that says, Lord, I was tired before I came. And now I'm praying that I won't leave tired, but that I will leave revived, energetic, passionately believing that he that has begun a good work will complete it. If that is you, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. You said, Lord, I was tired before I came, but I'm not going to leave tired. I'm not going to leave tired. I'm going to leave this room recognizing I know what you're doing, Satan, and I know that you have but a short time. I just need to hold on to Christ a little longer. This day, brothers and sisters, the noise of battle, but the next is the victor's song. I want you to sit right now and think in your mind what it's going to be like to put that crown on your head. 
I want you to sit right now and think what it's going to be like when you look up in heaven and you see Jesus coming in the clouds. And you say, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. I want you to sit down and think in your mind what it will be like when Jesus looks at you and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. And you think of this day when you were tempted to give up. You think of the days when you were tired, but you held on to Jesus. Father in heaven, what a beautiful privilege to see through the story of Jesus and his cross, we understand our story, why I am struggling with this thing. The times that I've done it secretly, sometimes even while walking with Jesus, just like Judas. But so thankful, so thankful that now the insight is in. And I can know assuredly that the devil's trying to discourage me. He wants me to hand Jesus over. But today, Lord, we've stood in this room to say there is no price for Christ. There's nothing you can offer me. There's no desire, no fulfillment, no pleasure. No gain that you can offer me so great that I will let go of Christ. Father, we want to be those kind of people who are needed in the last days, who will love not even their lives unto death. Lord, who will be willing to be beheaded for the word of God? Who would rather die than disobey? People who would not hand over Jesus. Father, this is our prayer. And we trust that you will encourage us in those moments that the devil has but a short time. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Thank you for these gifts, and we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.